This message first aired on the radio on August 4, 2003. We're taking up the broad topic of an introduction to dispensations, and we're trying to do that so that you can enjoy your Bible. We believe that the Bible teaches that there is an outline of the Scriptures themselves, that that outline can be imparted from one to another, and that the Apostle Paul urged Timothy to take the outline of sound words or the form of sound words that was laid down in his life through the teaching of the Apostle Paul and pass it on to faithful men who were able to teach others also. And that's what we're trying to do. We don't hear claim to be faithful men, but the Lord has found us faithful, putting us in the ministry. Then we're happy to know that and to function accordingly. And as we've taken up this broad outline of Scripture, breaking it into seven dispensations, which others have done before us, and we're grateful to learn, but we also believe that as householders in God's Word, as stewards in God's Word, that we can bring forth things new and old. So hopefully this broadcast has both new and old things. And as we've been proceeding through the different dispensations, we come to really this pivotal dispensation, marked by the promise of God to Abraham, which we have spent some six or seven days on. We spent, I think, six days on it, and this is our seventh day spending time on this dispensation, and we likely won't finish it today either. We do find it to be a very profitable subject to take up, and perhaps a dispensation that is more pivotal even than others because the New Testament so heavily borrows from I won't say borrows, but comments on the events therein. So we're going to see certain doctrines emerging. For example, we see the promises of God emerging, as he promised to Abraham and to his seed, that he would make him a mighty nation and a father of many peoples. And we realize that God is doing some new thing than what he had done before. He used to approach the entire human race with his truth directly, The human race took the truth that God had implanted in the heavens, and they distorted it under the tutelage of Nimrod and the Hamite rebellion, and they distorted it, and that distorted truth went out everywhere in the world. God's seeing now, needing to do a more perfect thing, a more mature thing, took Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees and began to make him promises, and through Abraham's seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He said, not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. We learn that from the book of Galatians, that that important point. And now we see that Abraham had Ishmael and Isaac, and it was in Isaac that his seed would be blessed. Of course, Ishmael also blessed, but not with a promised seed. Now, we, as we leave the life of Abraham, we come into a new important man, and that man is Isaac. And really, the importance of Isaac diminishes rather quickly after he took Rebekah for his bride. His prominence in the Scripture doesn't last very long. We'll take it up today because we actually get to his two sons, Esau and Jacob, and we learn a great deal from that. So that's what we're going to take up today, and we begin our study in the Scripture today with Genesis 25 and verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. 
Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. Now, here we found we've actually passed over the negotiations at the home of Laban, the brother to Rebekah, when Abraham sent out his oldest servant, and we saw in that dispensational significance a picture of the Holy Spirit going out to take a bride for our greater Isaac, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, afterwards Abraham then taking a Gentile wife. And we pointed out the dispensational significance is that after this present dispensation, God will then save Israel, the Israel of God, and that will be a bride for our Lord Jesus Christ, the the fulfillment of Israel. Finally, all Israel will be saved. What a wonderful thing that will be in the future if the undoing of Israel or if the setting aside of Israel was riches to the world. Imagine what the taking up of them it will be except for life from the dead. And so we will see the first resurrection fulfilled, completely fulfilled. It's already begun. It began with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the first of the first fruits, And then those that are Christ that is coming, there will be resurrection of all the members of the body of Christ that have slept will be raised. Those who are alive and remaining at our Lord's coming will be caught up together with those who have passed on to meet the Lord in the air. They will constitute the full body of Christ, the groom being complete, coming back to his bride Israel, who will then be, all Israel will be saved at the moment that they look upon him whom they have pierced. And we saw the dispensational, well, we didn't see all the dispensational, but we saw dispensational significance of that in the life of Abraham leading to the bride of Isaac. So we come now here to Genesis 25, and Isaac was 40 when he took Rebekah to wife. You remember, he took her into Sarah's tent. Thereby he was comforted concerning his mother's death. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And so Isaac now takes focus here. Abraham will leave the scene of the scripture, and and, and Abraham in his death, of course, lived to a ripe old age of 175 years old. And so now our focus is on Isaac, whose problem is that his wife, Rebekah, is barren. It says in verse 21 of Genesis 25, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So here Rebekah conceives, and she's got problems uh, with her with her pregnancy. Verse 22, the children struggle together within her. And she said, if so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And now let me just say something about pregnancy and about wives and about the Lord and about Isaac and about you. Somehow today, people consider that pregnancy is some kind of a disease. First off, I think they consider it something to be avoided. And that's a mistaken uh, conception, if I may make a pun, right off the top. Children are a blessing from the Lord. I don't see anything that says that too many children are not a blessing from the Lord or anything like that. We see when people are childless or they don't have sons or enough 
children. They go to the Lord and seek more children. And I could go on and on about that, but that's not my point here. My point here is when Rebecca began to see that she had certain amount of trouble in her pregnancy, I, I don't know if this was just excessive movement in her womb. I suppose that's what it was. It, it seems like the children struggled together within her. A couple things I want to say is that the Scripture plainly calls these two children. It says the children struggled together within her. Now, I realize to an extent I'm preaching to the choir, but those of you who maybe have questions about who that is in the womb, the Bible here in Genesis 25:22 says those are children in the womb. And certainly uh, we're going to go to uh, God's consideration concerning them because we have here a, a picture of God's election. In fact, we have God's election actually having already gone on, and we'll read about that here and in Romans 9. But these two actually have names in the mind of God before they're born, and they are children in her. The second thing I want to say is about her conduct. She does not go and inquire of a doctor. She does not go inquire of physicians, nurses, or even the women around her. She inquires of the Lord. Now, I don't know how it became as distorted as it is in our society today that we think that pregnancy is some kind of medical condition in need of the supervision of a physician. But I do understand that that's happened, and I don't agree with it. The first person to ask concerning your well-being, and this goes for anything, but I mean, especially in pregnancy, but it all, which is not a disease, but it also goes to when you're feeling sick or when you are sick. Inquire of the Lord before or even sometimes instead of inquiring of a physician. And I give this advice to believing women and today, and I realize that it's, first of all, it's simple advice, but it's also advice that's almost never given. Seek the Lord. Look what Rebecca does. She went to inquire of the Lord. What's going on with me? And the Lord is for the body, and the body is for the Lord. He's the engineer. I think about my computer career here a little bit. Maybe I can use that as a, maybe I can use an example out of it to amplify this a bit. When I come across difficult problems in computer systems, whether it's computer components themselves, whether it's a piece of hardware, most hardware is actually software anyway, or a piece of software, I don't like to talk to users about it, people who use the hardware, people who use the software. I don't like to talk to people who sell the hardware or who sell the software. I want to talk to the engineers who design it and who build it, whether it's hardware or software. Those are the people I like to talk to. And uh, I've made myself the kind of person that they also want to talk to in order that I can get from them the best form of information. So it is when Rebecca here goes to God. It is God who has taken me from my mother's womb and who took Rebecca from her mother's womb. And so Rebecca goes to inquire of the Lord. And surprise, surprise, verse 23, the Lord answers her. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And so here we have the story concerning the two sons of Isaac, 
Esau and Jacob, and that story is given to Rebekah before either one of them are born, and that's very, very important for us to understand, not only to understand that it happened, but to understand why. And then it says, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau, meaning red. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and therefore his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old, sixty years old, when she bare them. So they went twenty years childless, and now she has two children. One is this Esau, who's all red all over. Maybe you've, if you've seen plenty of infants, I'm sure you've seen these bright red infants that come out, hairy all over. I've seen a few myself. That's Esau grabbing onto his heels, that rascal Jacob. That's what we're going to occupy ourselves with the rest of our time after this break. So we're looking here now. We've seen the birth of Esau and Jacob, and Jacob's going to be called Israel later. But if we want to see some of the significance of this, uh, some of the teaching that the Bible has for us in this, we can turn to Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. We'll read a little bit in that section. We'll start here actually ahead of that time. We'll start at the beginning of the chapter. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. This is the Apostle Paul writing about his disposition. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption, that is the national adoption, God only adopted one nation. There's only one nation God has adopted, that's Israel. God is not going to adopt another nation. Our nation is not adopted by God. No other nation is adopted by God, or will be. And the glory, that is the Shekinah glory, the visible glory of God. I hear people talking about the special presence of the Lord. I've heard songs about it. I've heard people talk about feelings of God's special presence. God's everywhere and every place. When he wanted to make his special presence known, he did it with a bright shining cloud, the Shekinah glory. It left the temple. It left during the time when Ichabod was written. Uh, the glory has departed. The glory has not returned yet. To Israel belongs the glory, which is the Shekinah, the glory of God, the visible glory of God. And don't expect it at your local church or in your kitchen or on television or anywhere else. The covenants. That's an important thing to remember. We'll look at that. Let's talk about that next week for part of a day. And the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. That's about Israel. Now, not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now, people misinterpret this passage so badly, and it goes on to tell us exactly what it means. But it does not say, what it does not say here is they are Israel which are not of Israel. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, for they are Israel who are not of Israel. 
it says, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Now, let me just make it real clear here. The Bible says that not everybody which is of Israel is Israel. It does not say that anybody which is not of Israel is Israel. My Gentile friend, or formerly Gentile friend, my Christian friend, you are not Israel. My Gentile friend, or Gentile enemy, you are also not Israel. I don't care if you're British. I don't care if you are an American. I don't care if you're living in Salt Lake City or whatever. You are not Israel. And not everybody who is of Israel is Israel. And of course, that goes without saying because, well, it doesn't go without saying. It goes by saying because it's here in the book of Romans. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Now, people like to take this out of context and just apply it to anybody who's of the seed of Abraham and say, you see, they're Israel. That's what our Reformed friends do. But the context here is, while we read it, is found in the first part of Romans 9. This is about Israel. It's the beginning of a discourse of three chapters that is about Israel. So it says, verse 9 now, For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, here Ishmael's already born when God said that, and so what God is establishing to Abraham, and we just looked at that last week, what God was establishing to Abraham is that the seed is going to come through Sarah, Ishmael is not going to be counted as the Abrahamic seed not the son of Hagar, but only the son of Sarah. And not only this, not only this, so not only was it narrowed down to Isaac, but more, it was narrowed further, not only this, Romans 9.10, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac. Now here's the exact place that we just read. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now that's quoted out of Deuteronomy chapter 21. But let's take up verse 12. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. Now here we are in this section of Scripture in Genesis chapter 25. And when Rebekah went to inquire of the Lord, of why was this movement going on in her womb? You remember, she didn't go to a midwife. She didn't go to a physician. She didn't go to her buddies. She didn't even go to Isaac. She asked the Lord, and the Lord told her, The elder will serve the younger. Now, they, these two boys hadn't done anything yet. Well, they're, they're struggling around in the womb, but these two boys hadn't had any life of sin or faith yet. And what's the Bible teaching? On the basis of election, the promise stands. That not of works, but according to election. It is of him that calls. Jacob was called to be the progenitor of the promised seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, before he ever 
came out of the womb. Now, the fact is that acted out, and we can see some moral things around it, and we can see God's providential hand as well as his evident moral reasoning. Nevertheless, nobody gets to boast. Not Jacob. He doesn't get to boast, I'm better than Esau, I did this thing, I did that. Oh, no, boasting is excluded because it's not of works. It is of him that calls. And now, this is the election of God, and that's what the Scripture says. It says that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Now, I'm not going to go crazy about election here on you. I'm not going to talk like some 22-year-old seminary student who just has begun to learn Bible doctrine for the first time and already knows everything because his professor told him so. But let me tell you that the purpose of God stands according to election, and here God's elect is Jacob and not Esau. And you might say, well, why is that? Well, in the mind of God, there is reason. It's certainly not offensive. As we read these two careers, we understand why it is. For example, in verse 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. There isn't any. So then, for he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. Now, we're not going to take up all of Romans 9. We're not going to take all up about the doctrine of election, but I will agree with others who have said it's a very comfortable doctrine because my assurance lies in the fact that I'm called of God and not that I run or work. And that's a wonderful thing. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of worse, lest what? Anybody including Jacob, should boast. So out comes Jacob, and out comes Esau. And here's Jacob, and let me say that we're going to find out what kind of a wretched guy Esau is, but Jacob is no sweetheart. This guy is a liar, like his father was a liar, like his grandfather Abraham was a liar. At times he's a coward. He certainly is full of shenanigans, and he's a little clever for his own good, and God's going to have to deal with him, and God does deal with him, But you know what? Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and that's all that qualify for a Savior, and Jacob also qualifies. Now, we see in the career of these two fellows, uh, first of all, that Rebekah is the one with the prophecy that was given to her concerning these two. I don't see any evidence that she ever clued Isaac in on that. This is, again, a picture I think we have or a similarity. It's not exactly a picture, but we have a similarity concerning the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was told things that she kept in her heart and maybe didn't disclose really, certainly didn't disclose uh, widely, uh, may have not disclosed at all concerning the great sorrow she would uh, go through and, of course, in in witnessing firsthand the crucifixion and death of her son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a little of that here. We have certainly disclosure given directly to Rebecca. And I want to say something else to my Christian sisters who might be listening. God does not allow you to teach the Scriptures. He hasn't called you to do it, and that's a limitation that you have temporarily 
here below while we're in the bodies of this death until you're clothed upon with your house from on high, and then you won't be limited in any way that I can see. But for now, the, the limitations are placed upon you due to the weakness that you have in the flesh, and that is that apparently is that you're more easily deceived than men are. Nevertheless, here you can see that God will still speak to you. It is not that you are limited in any way from God disclosing things to you or speaking to you. The Lord here answered the prayers of Rebecca and answered her directly and informed her of something he did not inform Isaac about. And let me say something about the way that God informs us and does not inform us. We know that he tells us what he's going to do and treats us as friends. That's one of the things that the Lord does. The servant doesn't know what the master does. But I have disclosed to you things. I've treated you as my friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. God does disclose things to us. When I don't understand something, I ask God, please tell me, explain to me what's going on. Sometimes, however, God does not explain things to me so that I will do the thing he wants me to do anyway. Now, that's kind of strange. You may find that to be a little bit puzzling, a little bit difficult. But let me tell you that you can be confident that the Lord will remain with you even when he doesn't disclose to you what will happen. And sometimes, because you don't know what will happen, especially if the outcome is going to be something you don't like, but God wants that outcome anyway, he may not disclose to you the outcome so that you'll go ahead and reap that outcome and don't always take it as if God is somehow disciplining you. When I know the discipline of God, it's pretty clear. Uh, he doesn't leave it vague with me. He's not distant from me. When you discipline your children, and by the way, do discipline your children frequently, when you do that, make it clear to them while you're disciplining them. I know that I always made sure my children knew. I didn't always tell them because oftentimes they knew without being told, and I would just ask them why they thought so, and sure enough, uh, they'd figure it out. But God doesn't discipline us while we're just ignorant of why. It's not his way. And so sometimes you get a bad result. Understand that God still loves you. And here Jacob is going to have to be kept a little bit in the dark about who's going to get blessed over who. Because in the end, he blesses, or excuse me, Isaac is kept in the dark. Because in the end, he blesses Jacob as he's fooled by Jacob and his mother instead of Esau. Now, I, I want to say something about Esau as well here, and in order to set that up, we have to see a little bit about the affections that go on in the Isaac household. And so we see this, verse 27, the boys grew. Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Now, this is what he's called. He's called a skillful hunter. Of course, when we think about skillful hunters, He's a skillful hunter, not a mighty hunter in the face of the Lord. He's no Nimrod. He's not that bad. But we still see that he's this hunter. And here's the phrase that really troubles me a little bit about Esau right away. He's a man of the field. Well, the field is the world, and so I'm reading this. He's a man of the world. And, of course, I know, I know his end, and I know the kind of guy he is. We see some other things about him that make him kind of an unpleasant fella. But he's a man of the world, and that's something we can realize about him. 
and distinguished against that, Jacob is said to be a plain man. Now, we could take that wrong. This plain man, really, it is a compliment to him. Let me use a word that I think is a better word than plain. He was a transparent man. Jacob was transparent. He was an honest man. He was an upright guy. What you saw is what you get. The Scripture tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and that's an important aspect of character, to be an upright guy, a straightforward person. We should seek to be that, like Jacob, a plain man. And then we have the phrase, dwelling in tents. So we know already that he's taken on the characteristic of his father Isaac, of his grandfather Abraham. He is going to be an alien. He's going to be a stranger uh, to those around him and a pilgrim. And we don't see Esau dwelling in tents. Well, it doesn't say that about him. It says he's a man of the field. And so we have a real contrast between these fellows. And it tells us now, verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Well, we could say a lot of things about it. Here we have Isaac looking upon Esau as the one who provides him his food. He's a rough-and-tumble guy. Uh, they're, they're buoying up together, but that doesn't accomplish the purposes of God. We'll come back and look at these two, especially Esau, in a minute. Well, we are going to look at uh, especially Esau here. We're going to look a little bit at Isaac. You see, Isaac loved Esau for one reason. We don't see why Rebecca loves Jacob, except for she does have the prophecy concerning Jacob to go on, and so I suppose that would predispose her to him. Some might see that Jacob's a bit of a mama's boy. I don't really see that too much with a guy. There are plenty of mama's boys around, and I'd take Jacob over most of the ones I know. But I can't imagine that Rebecca's love is somehow unattached to the scriptures that go before. After all, that would be quite an impact, the Lord giving you such a prophecy. But here we have the natural affection of Isaac for Esau, and it has to do with he likes the food that Esau brings him. They like to sit down and eat roasted meat together. It's kind of a nyamachoma salted meat thing, as they would do in East Africa, for example. So here's a couple old boys. They like to watch Husker football and eat chips and salsa or whatever. And those are nice things, and those are pleasant things. All things are given to us richly to enjoy. Husker football given to us to enjoy. Chips and salsa, I suppose, also. But this is not a way to make a relationship. We see that this is a relationship between Isaac and Esau that's according to the flesh. Isaac likes to eat Esau's food. Esau's quite an eater himself. In fact, Esau is a man driven by his appetites, and that is really the flaw of his character. We could actually look ahead at Genesis 26, verse 1, and get ourselves a little better context for what the exchange between Jacob and Esau. It says, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So this is the second of 13 famines given in Scripture. The first one was during the time of Abraham. This is a second one, a famine in the land. 
Now, I suppose Esau's having a little trouble. The first ones to suffer in famine, by the way, the animals, they don't get the leftovers to eat. Men are busy competing with them for food, and men get food first. It's just the way it works. So I suppose Esau's hunting career is not doing very well. Here we read verse 29, now backing up to Genesis 25:29. Jacob sod or boiled pottage, and Esau came from the field, empty-handed it looks like, and was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, that same red stuff. That's what he said, that red stuff. This red stuff, likely lentil stew. Give me some of that red stuff, for I am faint. Therefore his name is called Edom. Now he says, give me that red stuff. He's called Edom. That means red. Of course, he was called Esau because he was red. Now he wants that red stuff. His second name, Edom, named after the red stuff that he desired. Of course, all this has some prophetic significance. But look at what a man of appetites Esau is. He said, I'm faint. Give me that red stuff. Now listen to how this goes. Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Now, just ask yourself this. Do you think Esau's eating any less than Jacob? I'm doubting it. I think at the dinner table at Isaac's house, the food passed by Esau probably before it got to Jacob. Now, Jacob found some lentils here, and he's boiling up a vegetable broth, you know, a vegetable soup. When Esau says that he's ready to die, it reminds me of some of these crazy people that miss a meal and think their life's going to end, or miss one day's meal or think their life's going to end. My friend, you can go a long time without food. God's not going to let you starve to death. He feeds all the birds of the air, and he will also feed you. You ask me now, what about all the starving people in the world? What about the people who are starving to death? Do you know what causes people to starve to death if anybody starves to death? I mean, okay, let's just say some people do. I don't know anybody personally who has starved to death. I've never met the person. But I can tell you that what causes people to starve to death is usually arranged dislocations by men. And it's not famine. It is the arrangements of men that stop the free flow of food, usually warfare or other kinds of arrangements, profiteering, some other things. And I'm not without experience in these matters. I've been to the parts of the world that you're going to tell me people are starving, and neither are they starving, neither have I ever starved there. So here's a man who's overrun by his appetites. And that's not the only thing. He's not only a man overrun by his appetites, but he has no regard whatsoever for his birthright. Because Jacob says, swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now the scripture says he despised his birthright. Now, you might make excuses for Esau so that you can be like him or whatever it is you're going to do, but the Scripture does not have pleasant things to say about Esau. We turn now to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and we read a little bit more about Esau. And here's what it says. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, we'll start reading with verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. 
looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. Now here we're talking about not the grace of God failing. That's not what it says. It doesn't say lest the grace of God fails. It says looking diligently lest anyone fail of the grace of God. That is, lest anyone fail to rely upon the grace of God. What did Esau do? He didn't turn to God and ask him for food. If we ask him for a bread, will he give us a stone? If we ask him for a fish, will he give us a scorpion? No. God knows we have need of all things. We just need to thank him for our food. He'll give us our food without us even asking, just like our earthly fathers do. Esau was not going to starve to death. It's just something he felt like. He was having old problem controlling his appetites, just like the rest of us do. But we don't all fail of the grace of God. We don't all despise our birthrights, but Esau did. Lest there be, verse 16, here it is, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And that is what he did. Now, he's called a profane person. He is compared to a fornicator. So let's talk about fornication. How does that happen? Well, fornication happens by the momentary pleasure of sin. If fornication is simply and especially the momentary satisfaction of the lusts of the flesh. And that's exactly what Esau did. He is a fornicator or profane person. He's a profane person that is compared here in Hebrews 12:16 to a fornicator. Of course, what do we have when we talk about fornications? I know one fellow, a national commentator, who said it used to be, when I was young, that it was okay to smoke, but it was wrong to commit fornication. Today, it's okay to commit fornication, and it's wrong to smoke. Well, here's what we have today. We have, among God's people, many fornicators. We have a God's people, many who, instead of looking for the grace of God, feed the momentary pleasures of their demanding appetites, and who, for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright like Esau did. You say, well, what about Esau? Here's about Esau. Verse 17, Hebrews 12. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, some people misinterpret this scripture and say Esau was unable to repent. While it is true that the goodness of God leads the sinner to repentance, while it is true that in the acknowledging of truth, God will give some repentance, and repentance is also the gift of God, while that's true, that's not what this scripture is talking about. The scripture is not talking about Esau couldn't find any repentance in himself. My Christian friend, if you find some repentance in yourself, if you find a change of mind in yourself, just go ahead and declare that to God. Don't worry about trying to engineer it. If you have it, you have it, and it's the gift of God. But on the other hand, he's not seeking a change of his own mind. Once Esau learns the consequence of his actions and what he forfeited by selling his birthright, 
he's not seeking a change of mind of his own mind. His mind is changed. He wants it now. He's seeking a change of mind of Isaac's mind. And we're going to look at that here with the minutes that we have left of what actually transpired. Because with an interlude here, as Isaac continued in his career, we find as Esau continues to be a bit of a problem, we can look ahead and see that Esau took a couple of wives, became a grief of mind to Isaac and to Rebekah, and then it came to pass that it was near the time that Isaac was old and he was about to die. And in Genesis 27, it said, It came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Isaac his eldest son and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, I take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison and make me savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. So here Isaac getting ready to bless Esau, his firstborn. Remember, ignorant of the, of the God didn't speak to him. He spoke to Rebekah. But Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, verse 5, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command. Go to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make savory meat for thy father such as he loves. And thou shalt bring to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. So here Esau was, you know, he was a hairy, he was her suit, and Jacob was a smoothie. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I will bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said, Upon me be thy curse, my son, only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth part of his neck, and it was easy to find smooth parts on, on Jacob. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, My father, he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, uh, Esau thy firstborn, I have done according as thou abatest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, and thy soul that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, See, Jacob, he's a character, isn't he? And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether they be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near me. I will eat my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. 
And his father Isaac said unto him, Come now and kiss me, my son. And he blesses now Jacob in the place of Esau. And he says this, Let the people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. And so he's now made Jacob the boss over Esau. And then he repeats the, Cursed be everyone that cursed thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. This now Isaac passing on the Abrahamic promise to Jacob. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, Jacob was yet scarce gone out of the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also made savory meat, brought it to his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who are you? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that has taken venison and brought it me? I have eaten all of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Now he blessed his brother instead of Esau. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. You liar, Esau. He did not take away your birthright. You sold your birthright. You despised your birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Well, we learn about the promise of God here. We'll take it up some more. Don't you be an Esau in the meantime. 